another episode of the midwife podcast this is sophia sherman and enjoy the next hour of birthy midwifery conversations stay tuned i'd like to welcome carrie nearland to our podcast i'm so excited to talk to her today and a little bit of an introduction before we get her talking as well so carrie nearland is a certified nurse midwife She graduated from the University of Minnesota's Nurse Midwifery Program in 2005 and has been practicing full-scope midwifery since that time. Carrie is employed at the University of Minnesota Health uh, and works in two different outpatient clinic sites, so the Women's Health Specialist Clinic in the West Bank of the University of Minnesota campus and the Community University Health Care Center a federally qualified healthcare system located center located in South Minneapolis. She attends births at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Carrie is currently working is currently a PhD candidate in the University of Minnesota's School of Nursing, where she is focusing on women's confidence for physiologic birth. Her clinical and research interests include physiologic birth, care practices during childbirth, vaginal birth after cesarean, and collaboration in maternity care. In addition, she is an adjunct faculty member and teaches within the University of Minnesota's Nurse Midwifery Program. She also serves as a co-leader for the American College of Nurse Midwives, reducing primary cesareans project at the University of Minnesota Medical Center and is chair of the ACNM membership and marketing committee. So welcome, Terry Muirland. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to talk today. So let's jump right in. Um, how did you know you wanted to become a midwife? Well, I think as with many, many midwives, um, it was kind of a long and roundabout way. Um, when I was um, in high school, um, I learned that I was very passionate about reproductive justice and women's health and um, I wanted to um, increase um, my peers knowledge about pregnancy and about reproduction and um, so I began um, many years of volunteering and one of the first places that I volunteered uh, was at Planned Parenthood Hmm. and at Planned Parenthood, I had several opportunities um, to, to volunteer in, in different capacities. Um, but one of the things that I got to do was as an exam room assistant, where I was um, accompanying uh, male physicians into the room um, <clears throat> to help with lab specimens, to, uh, they call the chaperones. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was to kind of assist and uh, I found that what I was doing while I was in the room was telling the uh, people what they might expect from the exam, what was going to be happening, how it might feel. And so I did this for a number of years at different sites and then it was at Planned Parenthood that I was fortunate enough to meet a nurse midwife. She was no longer doing birth. Um, she was exclusively working at Planned Parenthood, um, offering women's health care services, and um, I was blown away. I had no idea that it, such a thing even existed. Mm-hmm. I knew a little bit about midwifery or traditional midwives. Um, I didn't know a lot about certified nurse midwives. And so I just started talking with her when I was volunteering. I didn't get to work with her in the room, per se, but I got mm-hmm. to ask her a lot of questions about her educational background, how she became a midwife, and so that started the process for me of learning more about midwifery mm-hmm. and what, what road I wanted to take. Did I want to become CPM? Um, was taking care of people in the home important to me? Did I want to become a certified nurse midwife? This was before the internet, and so I did a lot of research through books, writing letters to 
to educational programs, trying to find out more about it. And um, people started giving me information as well. The first copy of Spiritual Midwifery was given to me. Can you tell us that story? Because you told it to me once and I loved it. Quite <laughs> <laughs> an interesting story. <laughs> so during this time, I had actually, I had started college at the University of Minnesota, and at that time I didn't know what I wanted to do when I dropped out, but I kept volunteering. And um, so I was living in actually San Luis Obispo, California, and I was a assistant manager of a Circle K convenience store. <laughs> and I made a lot of friends um, that were homeless people that lived um, in the area, and they would come in and they would visit and they would you know, buy hot dogs, and, um, and I made one friend, his name was Michael Johnson, and he uh, was just an interesting character, a very nice man, and I told him that I wanted to become a midwife, and he found this copy of Spiritual Midwifery. I don't know where he found it. I don't know if he stole it. I don't know. But he just came in one day, and he said, I have a present for you, and he gave me a copy of Spiritual Midwifery. And, it and was... you ate hot dogs and like, together. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was wonderful. Um, I it really... Um, opened my eyes to a lot of the things that, um, the ways that childbirth changed throughout the 60s and 70s um, with the natural childbirth movement. Um, and so, you know, it was through all of these numerous ways that I um, learned about midwifery. Um, I eventually decided that becoming a certified nurse midwife was the important route that I wanted to take, was the important um, most important to me in terms of how I um, wanted to care for people and um, how I wanted to provide access to health care to people. And so I decided that I, I wanted to take that route. So I um, went to nursing school and got a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and then went straight into midwifery school after um, my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. um, because I went to nursing school with the express purpose of becoming a midwife. At that time, um, with certified nurse midwifery in the United States, that was one of the only routes. Mm -hmm. Things are changing now, um, but um, that was the, the route that I took. And so um, I became a certified nurse midwife in 2005. Mm -hmm. So what does births, attending births, give to you? Like, what was that first birth like? And it sounds like birth found you before you, you know, found it, maybe? And Well, I think so you're right. So, a couple of interesting things is a lot of times people um, experience, you know, they go through the experience themselves. Like, they had a birth, and mm -hmm. then they met a midwife um, through that process, or they didn't have the birth that they want, and so they became a midwife. I hadn't given birth. I was far from it at that time. Um, but aligned with my views. Um, and I think your question is interesting because I think it flips the script. Because more often, instead of saying, what does birth bring to me, usually we are saying, what do midwives bring to birth? Um, mm -hmm. We're often, especially in the United States, because midwifery isn't the standard of care for childbearing people, we're often having to prove, prove ourselves. We're, we're, you know, just constantly trying to say midwives have these great outcomes, midwives provide this wonderful care. So I think your question is interesting in that it's like what does what does attending births give to me? And I think I it's probably something that I thought a lot about when I first started out attending births and it's not something that I've given a lot of thought about recently. Mm. Um, but I think that there are several things. So first, attending births I think is extremely fulfilling and satisfying in that it is not just about the birth. It's about that relational human connection that you have with people and their families. And it is about that empowering um, care and, um, that you can provide. And it has the potential to set the stage uh, for lifelong changes. And so it's so fulfilling and satisfying in that way in that it's not just that eight or twelve hours that you might be attending someone during birth, but it's that empowering and um, that confidence-building experience that you help someone through that can um, set the stage for their parenting and 
potentially the rest of their lives and their relationships with their family members and I think that is extremely satisfying. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think that attending births provides um, is that I think I talked a little bit about my views but I think that it's in, and you notice that I do feel that midwifery is a vocation or a calling. I don't know if I found it or if it found me, but I do feel um, a sense, a real sense of urgency and dedication to this profession. Um, I just feel that it is so, so important. And um, so it is, I think, very fortunate to have found um, a profession mm -hmm. that um, I love to do, but that's consistent with my beliefs, mm. that um, I am going out each day that I practice and I'm making a difference in people's lives and, and um, it's, it's consistent with just a lot of the, the views I have about you know, providing ethical and safe and um, very personalized care for people. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I think it really, um, what's great about attending births is that I um, get to teach in the process. Mm. And so I am able to teach multiple types of learners, first and foremost midwifery students. And so it's wonderful to be present for a woman and um, to be able to, at the same time, um, teach um, a midwife student how to be present, teaching those clinical judgment skills, um, teaching um, how to physically comfort someone in labor, emotionally comfort someone in labor, and how to provide effective communication um, with the patient, the person, their family, as well as the other people on the healthcare team, nursing mm -hmm. staff, working with doulas, working with physicians, it's mm -hmm. all so important. Mm -hmm. um, I also get the pleasure of working with family medicine residents. Mm -hmm. And so that's also a really rewarding um, part of attending births and in that um, they get to learn about midwifery and they get to learn about how to sometimes be present without doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think to teach people how to pick up on certain things just by watching and not doing mm -hmm. um, is very important. Mm -hmm. For example, you might be with someone in labor and starting to hear signs or you know symptoms of transition or that they're getting close to pushing and you don't have to check their cervix right then. You don't have to check their cervix every two hours to see that they're progressing mm -hmm. if you're present and able to see those changes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that's just um, <clears throat> very rewarding about being in the presence of, of um, mm -hmm. women who, who allow themselves to take part in a teaching process. And of course we get consent to do that, mm -hmm. um, but it does provide the opportunity to create more conscientious and respectful providers. Mm -hmm. And then I think too, attending births informs research mm. and practice changes. So being present and seeing what barriers are there for people and what are the current practices, it really informs what are the research questions that we should be asking or the, the changes that we should be making in in, in my case, it's a hospital setting, so mm -hmm. what changes should we be making in the hospital setting to um, enhance the process of physiologic birth? Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. What do you think are some exceptional qualities of a midwife? And as I'm hearing you talk about teaching, how do you teach that to you know, the students that are coming into your path? Right. Um, I think that... Some qualities of exceptional midwives are probably first and foremost is the belief in pregnancy and birth as a normal healthy process. Mm -hmm. That the majority of people can do this out of their own power and ability. And 
Uh, I think so often, and especially in our Western medicalized view of birth, we, we uh, forget that this is the case. And I think instilling that in students is important. Um, but it also, if you approach it from that perspective, then it also gives confidence to the woman and inspires the woman or person. Mm -hmm. um, other um, exceptional quality qualities of an exceptional midwife, I think, um, would be um, midwives who value and see the uniqueness in the person. And so it's realizing that someone's coming to you with a unique narrative, a unique set of experiences. And um, it, it's not about your agenda as a midwife, it's about listening to that person and what their experiences have been and how they would like to um, see their care provided and experience their birth and that can be different for each person. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, valuing the uniqueness in each person, um, providing respectful, um, respectful, compassionate care um, is really important um, in a midwife and so also um, partnering with the person. So this kind of goes back to you know valuing them as a unique person, but <clears throat> listening to them and um, partnering. We talk a lot about shared decision making in healthcare, mm -hmm. and but what I see most often is not a true shared decision making. It's the sometimes the provider telling the patient, well, I think these are the best options for you and this is the option I think you should take then they make a decision and then the provider makes the plan well that's not necessarily a shared process mm -hmm. so it's really taking the time to talk about what are the potential options mm -hmm. and choices what are the risks of each what are the benefits of each what are the potential side effects and what might be best for you in your situation because the situation, the, the cultural background of the person, the environment of the person, you know, all of these things can change how they might be able to manage something. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to take all those into consideration. And then they make the decision, and then you make the plan together. Mm. Um, and so really practicing true shared decision-making and that is a problem in our current healthcare um, situation because in a clinical setting, we often don't have enough time to really ex you know, explore mm -hmm. things as much as we need to. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that an exceptional midwife takes more time, if needed, mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and I think also... Um, creating, uh, and especially in terms of the labor or intrapartum period, um, creating a, a respectful um, environment mm -hmm. um, for that person, respecting their space. Um, we often call it holding the space, um, but that can mean different things to different people too. Mm -hmm. I, in my research, I was um, asking people if a calm reassuring space was important in labor mm -hmm. and it was interesting because I got a different um, response than I thought I would um, but that's my bias coming through and mm -hmm. so I think that um, I think that some people want calm environment quiet mm -hmm. but other people don't mm -hmm. there are people who want raucous Mm -hmm. noisy, distracting environments, mm -hmm. because that's what helps them. Mm -hmm. And and so I think we really have to listen to people in terms mm -hmm. of, of what they want. I had a doula client recently who her whole family was there, like extended family, and it was she'd had a long labor. She'd been in labor for like two days, and it was like midnight, and her whole family was there loud and like talking, and, and I kind of, as the doula, I just kind of ushered them out. <laughs> and then she turned to me after, and and she's like, yeah, they could have stayed. Like, it was totally fine. And she, like, turned the TV on and turned it up really loud. 
And I was like, oh, oops, like that was a big mistake on my part as a doula. <laughs> it's, it was my assumption that as a doula, that's um, the kind of spaces people want to birth in. <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, we can learn from those kinds of things, and I think yeah. that's really important. We have to meet people where they are, and sometimes exactly. just asking the question beforehand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, would it be more beneficial for you right now if there were less people in the room? Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or sometimes people love the sound of the fetal heart rate on the fetal monitor, and mm -hmm. you turn, you know, it's turned down, and they're like, oh, that's re it's really reassuring to me. Could mm -hmm. I have that turned up again? And we have to think yeah. about that ahead of time. Mm. Um, but I also want to go back to the point of, um, you know, we talked a little bit about bringing in our own judgment, or we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important, too, like within each interaction with someone, like as a healthcare provider, as a midwife, mm -hmm. there's a power dynamic. Yeah. And you have to take that into consideration mm -hmm. uh, with each interaction, not just in general, but with each interaction with someone, there's always a power dynamic. And we bring our own biases, our own judgment into that. And mm -hmm. so recognizing what your bias is and um, working on that mm -hmm. um, is super, super important. Um, so you, it sounds like you build relationship in each interaction. And part of the foundation of midwifery is in that relationship. So what does that look like in a hospital setting? Some of the stresses are maybe not having enough time, what are some of, you know, where are those spaces that you do find time and to connect with your, your patients? Like, what does that building relationship look like in, in your care? That is so, I mean, it's fundamental. And um, we do have, I currently am in a busy practice, and so sometimes we are um, stressed for time. There's pressure to... Um, do other administrative things at the same time, or be assisting um, people in the clinic, mm. and seeing the seeing the patients who have had their babies already. Um, <clears throat> so there's often a lot of stresses and barriers, but I think even if there isn't a lot of time, um, some of the things that you can do are, I mean, just as simple as knocking on the door and asking to come in, mm. not just going into the room. Mm -hmm. um, it's often so intrusive, but knocking, asking, can I come in? Once you're there, sitting down with the person instead of standing over them. Mm -hmm. I often talk to students about how, um, and I love obstetricians, but I love to talk about language and the word obstetric, mm -hmm. the root, comes from the same as to obstruct. And mm. obstetrics basically means to stand before. Mm. And midwifery means with women. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remind students that it's important to, to sit and be on the same level as people. Mm -hmm. And even doing things as simple as that show that you're taking the time to be respectful and to listen to people. Mm -hmm. um, but then just to really listen to the person's story about what, you know, what brought them in to the hospital, um, if it's their labor, what has happened so far, what have they been doing at home to help them cope, um, how well do they feel that they're coping at that time, mm -hmm. um, and what are their hopes and, and preferences. Mm -hmm. um, just doing that in a gentle and respectful manner and hopefully continuing that relationship. Continuity is very important. Um, we have a uh, kind of a medium-sized practice and so sometimes we don't always get to meet everyone but having that continuity and hopefully have, having met that person during their How pregnancy. How many providers are in your practice? We now have 10 midwives in our practice. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So it's a little bit busier um, than some and smaller than others. Um, but you don't get the continuity that you would get in like in a home birth setting. But you know, I think most of the time we do get to meet almost everyone. Mm -hmm. But that can't always be the case, especially if we're working at a couple different clinic sites. Mm -hmm. And so within the 10 of you, you're working with other nurse midwives. 
And I also know that you like to collaborate mm -hmm. with, you know, people of other disciplines. Yeah. What does collabor collaboration look like for you and what are some really fruitful collaborations you've had? Right. Collaboration uh, within a group and among groups is so, so important. And I think especially um, in um, this, you know, in healthcare. And um, we're very fortunate. We have um, a wonderful group of OBGYNs that we work with, as well as others. Um, like I said, family medicine, maternal fetal medicine, um, nursing. And so I think that uh, for true collaboration to work in midwifery, midwives have to be at the table. Mm -hmm. So for midwives to be there at meetings where decisions are made about aspects of policy, of guidelines, um, and so I do feel like we have that opportunity um, where I work. Mm -hmm. And midwives are often um, at the forefront of some of these changes. And so a, 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 a true collaborative relationship is one where, um, you know, there's not that hierarchy where it's a flat hierarchy where you feel uh, as a midwife that you can safely ask questions, where you can, um, you know, provide your clinical judgment or um, your expertise mm -hmm. as a midwife, and then you can get feedback and you can work together. Mm -hmm. um, it's, similar to shared decision-making. Mm -hmm. um, and so it happens at the bedside all the time um, where it's a respectful collaboration and um, the midwives and the physicians are um, working together to make the best decisions mm -hmm. for that clinical situation and that person at that time. Mm -hmm. um, we also um, do something called a consensus meeting where we meet twice a year and we have different clinical situations where we look at the best evidence and we make plans um, oh. as, a, as a large group. And midwives mm -hmm. are at the table and um, we get to have input um, on those decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also there making changes in terms of some of, um, some of the practices that can um, be barriers to physiologic birth. And so being part of the Reducing Primary Cesareans project has been just an amazing um, process where we were able to um, make a lot of practice changes, um, improving the use of intermittent auscultation, um, creating, and this was done with the help of a large group and of midwifery students and um, with the buy-in of physician colleagues and nursing administration. Um, but um, improving upright um, laboring and mobility for um, laboring women, mm -hmm. um, all, all sorts of um, process and practice changes that help improve mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. And then these collaborations, you probably, you know, sometimes experience transfers, transfers from midwifery care to doctor care. Mm -hmm. What, what is the culture of transfers within the hospital? What is the culture of transfers that you experience, maybe home birth to sure. um, hospital setting? Sure. This is something that um, I'm very passionate about. Um, I have not um, experienced home birth myself as a person. Um, I was able to uh, volunteer in a birth center um, mm -hmm when I was younger, and so that was very um, empowering for me to see people at birth in different settings. Um, and I am fortunate to be part of this community here um, where we've been working on this culture and process for several years now. And so um, with our CPM colleagues several years ago, we started talking about the just improving the culture and the systems and, and policies um, around transfer from home or birth center to hospital. And so um, we, um, I'm part of a group called the Midwife Bridge Club and it's CPMs and CNMs and we meet mm -hmm. um, to discuss barriers, how our practices are the same, how our practices are different. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting, at the time, 
I wanted to um, work with some of the CPMs to work on the transfer process and um, create a guideline for our hospital. And so mm -hmm. as I was working on that, I had one of um, my CPM colleagues come in and, and it was interesting to see how it was received. Um, our OB colleagues were like, sure, whatever. Like, we're very supportive. If you want to do midwife-to-midwife -midwife transfers, that sounds great. Awesome. And it was almost harder to get midwife buy-in for this process. Hmm. Um, and so there was... Like CPM buy-in or CNM buy-in? CNM buy-in. Oh. And um, so it was a process. And it was a hmm. process of... It was um, almost a paradigm shift in that um, I think some CNM colleagues were worried if, um, worried about liability, worried about if we accepted a transfer and, you know, it was not a, their care uh, prior had not been in line with how their care had been. Mm. Um, and would that reflect on the care they Poorly provide? on the right. nurse midwives. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it was a very interesting experience. And um, we had to get the group to think about things in a different way and as more of this does not reflect on you or you know, the, the, we don't need to change the care that the CPM is providing. Mm -hmm. It is more of a once the person gets to our door, how do we find the most appropriate care for them at that time by the most appropriate person. Mm -hmm. And so if they were still within the midwifery scope of care, if they just needed labor augmentation with Pitocin, if they just needed pain relief, but other than that there was nothing wrong, mm -hmm. then why wouldn't we have a midwife to midwife transfer process? And when they looked at it from a, a triage kind of perspective, mm. then that shifted. And not taking not taking patients from just one particular provider, but being open to taking patients from all potential providers mm -hmm. based on what the situation was and who the appropriate care provider was at mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. So then we created a guideline. It sounds like a really important reframing happened yeah, in your group. Definitely. And there was an, an ability to see, like, okay, this is who we are and this is what we can do. Total perspective change. Mm -hmm. And it made all of the difference. And then we got buy-in from our medical director, and we had um, legal, um, so risk management, look at the guideline, mm -hmm. and weigh in to see if there are any changes. And we wrote a guideline three years mm -hmm. ago and instituted wow. it. Yes. And so we're rewriting it now. midwife transfers? Yes. Wonderful. And it's been... Um, it's been really, really wonderful. It's increased our collaboration and collegiality with our CPM colleagues. I think it's really um, opened up a lot of conversations about with within the midwifery community. So there are more mm -hmm. um, practices that are doing that within the Twin Cities. It's much, much harder for um, places that are not in the Twin Cities. Um, and we sometimes even see transfers coming from um, farther away because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's been a very, uh, really a wonderful um, opportunity for, um, I think, the, the people in our community that are having babies who choose mm -hmm. that setting to be able to have that safe, collegial, and respectful process mm -hmm. if they need to be transferred to mm -hmm. a higher or different level of care. And I think that is so important because then they're having a better experience, the CPMs are having a better experience, and then they're maybe um, thinking about transferring sooner because it's not punitive, mm -hmm. it is not judgmental. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very important. And I have to say that a lot of what we gathered or a lot of what we, the work we did was guided by the Home Birth Summit guidelines mm -hmm. um, that are available. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been um, a very important, the Home Birth Summit has been uh, very important in terms of um, their guidance. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is, this is really fascinating because I've been interested about 
how Minneapolis and St. Paul metro area have done so well at this. And I hear that from other, you know, places around the country. And they're like, oh, it, you know, <laughs> things seem to go really well with transfers here. But there's been a lot of work behind the there's scenes to work. make that happen. Yes. So here's, this is just a little bit of, like, behind the scenes, you know, filling in of, you know, what we've done to create that here. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to talk a little bit about your dissertation that you're finishing this summer. Certainly. <laughs> um, so the title is, and correct me if this is, this is right, um, Maternal Confidence um, for Physiologic Birth, Instrument Development, Development and Testing. And just tell us a little bit about it and, you know, how did you... How did you go into this? How did how did this come to be your dissertation? Um, well, it happened. Uh, it started a few years ago when I wrote a book chapter, and I wrote about um, confidence for birth. And it, at the time, um, my mentor and um, she was not yet my advisor, but um, she was the one who um, edited the book. We, we began this discussion about how there's not a lot of information about there, out there about how women develop confidence prenatally to have a physiologic birth. Hmm. There's some on self-efficacy, um, the term self-efficacy more so than confidence, and it's mostly around the time of labor, not so much prenatally. Hmm. And we um, also know that there's not a lot of uptake of things like childbirth education, um, and childbirth education reaches usually only white women who are well-educated or more affluent. Um, and so really, how, you know, how do women learn about physiologic childbirth in particular, and then how do they develop confidence? So um, my... Um, mentor, her name is Melissa Avery, she um, started the project and the first step was to look at um, how women develop confidence. And so we interviewed women. Uh, we had focus groups of all types of women who had physiologic births, who didn't, just to gain a sense of how do you, um, how do you build confidence for birth. And then we um, specifically had interviews with women who had had a physiologic birth to learn what made them feel more confident um, mm. for that. And then we also interviewed providers to see, mm. and they were um, um, certified nurse midwives who worked in both hospital and birth center and um, family medicine physicians and OBGYNs. Mm -hmm. And so what was their view on how to enhance confidence prenatally for physiologic birth? So then for my specifically for my dissertation, then I took the information that we learned from the women, along with numerous other studies about confidence, um, kind of learning what that even means, and then I built uh, what's called a survey tool or a survey instrument. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's basically questions um, um, that are grounded in this research about confidence to see how, you know, it's to measure how confident a woman is to birth physiologically. Mm. So the reason it would be used is to then, um, perhaps we think um, we have some kind of um, educational tool or some kind of change in prenatal care that we think would enhance confidence, then we can have the women, we can test the women, see how confident they are, then we can try this change, mm -hmm. it's an intervention, and then we can test the women again to see, okay, did that enhance confidence or not? Mm. So we can see if there are things that we can do to make a change. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it in mm. a nutshell. Wow, wow. <laughs> so what have, what have you come to understand about you know, women feeling more confident? And yeah. like, in what ways does that really affect the birth? Right. Well, we do know that, you know, anything can happen during labor and birth, and sometimes the things that happen are out of a person's control. Um, there might be issues with the fetal heart rate that mm -hmm. someone, even if they're extremely confident, they don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. um, so there are always things that can happen intrapartum that mm -hmm. um, might affect a woman's labor 
that don't have anything to do with confidence. But there are also studies that show that increased confidence can um, lead to some better outcomes. Mm. So um, decreased use of decreased pain, decreased anxiety, decreased fear. Mm. Um, and so I think it is important to look at. And what I found when I was researching this, that there were several um, things that were kind of part of a, a woman's beliefs if they were confident for physiologic birth. And one of them, again, was this um, belief that women, um, women have been having babies and their bodies are able to do this, you know, since time immemorial, mm -hmm. that um, our bodies, there's kind of an innate belief that women's bodies can do this. So mm -hmm. this group of women felt very strongly about this. Mm -hmm. um, they also talked about um, a supportive partnership in care mm -hmm. with their provider, mm -hmm. a respectful communication. They also talked about being on the same page as their whomever they decided to be on their team, whether it was mm -hmm. their care provider, their partner, their doula, they wanted to share those same philosophies and, uh, about their birth and they wanted their birth team to understand their preferences. Mm -hmm. um, some other things were um, that women really, uh, these women who felt confident, took the time to do research on their own. So in addition to talking with their prenatal care providers, they also went out and sought information. They did extra work to um, find out more information, whether it was through specific types of prenatal education, whether it was through meeting um, with a doula, whether it was through books, um, and they mentioned several uh, books, and um, internet sites. So they went out to do that research on their own. So there were several things that were common or common themes um, of those women mm -hmm. who, who were more confident and that there you know, was borne out too in the, the research. Mm -hmm. It's reminding me of an interview we did recently with a traditional Anishinaabe women, uh, midwife and she was talking about um, returning to some of their traditional birthing practices and how much like, confidence that really gave to you know the the women in their community that were birthing, and I think I wonder if that would be an additive. And I mean, you probably are doing a lot of research, but that'd be an, another level to like look at, you know, what kind of education, if it, the cultural relevancy, and what connecting back to one's roots does in in terms of building that confidence. Sure. Or I don't know, like stories of. Um, I don't know. Did you did you research about women connecting with maybe their mothers or well, knowing the birth story of right. their family? Right. That came in um, with their that kind of feeling that they could do it mm -hmm. was um, you know if they had seen like it was kind of a vicarious experience mm -hmm. or they've heard about it. So their mother and their grandmother had done it or their sisters had done it. Mm -hmm. um, or it was expected, sometimes if it was kind of expected in their culture, mm -hmm. um, that was true. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think one of the things that you kind of hit on too is, you know, it's also a matter of representation. Mm -hmm. So um, finding someone who's on your team that looks like you and that believes in the same things that you do. So for example, uh, doulas who are the same background or the same race, so mm -hmm. important because it gives you that confidence that you're being listened to, that you're being supported, that they also have those same values. And I think that mm -hmm. that representation is also super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really interesting. Could you could we backtrack a little sure. bit to the definition of physiologic birth? <laughs> we skipped that over right as we introduced your dissertation. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about it, but we haven't really talked about the definition. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, there was a you know a transformation. Um, I think that it started kind of in the forties and fifties with um, Dr. Grantley Dick Reed 
and the kind of natural childbirth movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, wrote a few books, and then there was um, some other physicians, Le Boyer um, and uh, Michelle Adant, and you know Ina Mae Gaskin. So then re- things really took root in the 1970s um, in terms of the natural childbirth movement, Lamaze um, childbirth classes as well, just to name a few things. Mm-hmm. And so there was more discussion about what was normal or natural childbirth. But those terms can mean things for different people. Some mm-hmm. people might say uh, normal birth is a vaginal birth, but maybe you had an epidural. And mm-hmm. some people think normal or natural means a vaginal birth without anything. And some mm-hmm. people may have had a vacuum delivery, a vacuum-assisted delivery, but they didn't use any medication. And so there was no consistency in, in the terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, the World Health Organization came out with a definition of normal birth in the late 1990s, and that was spontaneous labor, so labor that starts on its own, progresses on its own, um, that um, without intervention, um, that encourages bonding after the baby is born. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. there wasn't... Um, a lot of information there. And then, um, so the three big um, midwifery organizations in the United States, so American College of Nurse Midwives, um, MANA, and NACPM got together um, in 2012 and they created a consensus definition of what is physiologic childbirth. And so that consensus definition that physiologic childbirth is powered by the innate capacity of a human to birth and is characterized by um, these things such as spontaneous onset of labor, spontaneous progression uh, without um, that supports both biological and psychological conditions, um, which is really uh-huh. interesting, uh-huh. and includes things like um, so no intervention, ending in a vaginal birth, and they even talk about physiological blood loss, birth of the placenta, um, skin-to-skin contact afterward, and the initiation of breastfeeding. Wow. So it's a that's really, all included in physiologic? That's all included in this definition of physiologic childbirth. Wow. And so um, I think that with this definition, there was a just they're really wanting to establish what the definition was so that it would be standardized for care practices, for research, mm-hmm. um, and across the different um, midwifery mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about physiologic mm-hmm. childbirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. I had no idea that it included like breastfeeding, skin to skin. Yeah, that's because that's they're great. Yeah, they're all. Um, <laughs> They all play a part in the in the person's hormonal, physiologic changes mm-hmm. all through labor and then mm-hmm. in birth and postpartum. It makes me wonder what are we missing now, you know that, you know that that is even more, that we haven't researched yet, don't know yet, but is like is part of that. <laughs> I don't you, know. If you come up with questions, let me know. <laughs> I will. I, I might continue to explore. <laughs> Definitely. Well, to end right now, I just want to ask you your favorite birth story. That is probably the hardest question. <laughs> I mean, other one than my three, yes, my three <laughs> own uh, births, which yeah. were all very wonderful and mm-hmm. supported by midwives. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your favorites. I think, I can't think of one, but I can think of kind of generally. So I root for the underdog generally in situations. And so my favorite births are the births where a woman wanted to have a, you know, she wanted to have a labor after cesarean and hoped for a vaginal birth after cesarean. And she had come to our practice because she had been told by a previous provider that she couldn't do it. Mm. And then I was able to be there and attend her birth when she did. Mm. And I think those are the ones that are just the most meaningful. Mm -hmm. When someone was told that they have a complication and things might go wrong and they're they're able to do it. Mm -hmm. Or even those situations where 
um, a woman might have a different scenario and it isn't the way she wanted it to happen, but she still felt supported and listened to and empowered. For example, you know, we recently had a um, birth center to hospital um, transfer where this definitely wasn't the scenario that the person wanted, mm -hmm. but she still felt empowered. She, she still felt supported by everyone on the team. Mm -hmm. And I think that those just are the, the best. Mm -hmm. And it's really midwifery to the, you know, to the core with women, no matter what comes with women. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming today and, and talking with me. I loved diving into all these different aspects from transfers to dissertations. <laughs> thank you. And I look forward to hearing more about what you find about confidence. Thanks so much. It's a new area for us to explore. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. today's conversation or previous episodes please share these conversations with your friends your family and your colleagues we want this podcast to be for you so find us on facebook email us at the midwife podcast at gmail.com um we want to hear your ideas and just hear how you know these conversations are sparking your interest so we're all about midwifery inspiration stay tuned until next time <laughs>